And welcome to season three of my podcast. Today, my guest is Miss Claire Bell, the former principal of my school. She has worked as a teacher in Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore, Cambodia, and the Middle East. She also taught in Iraq during the Islamic State invasion and has worked with the Northern Iraqi government to ensure that all children. Have access to education. Hi, Mrs. Bell. Welcome to my show. Hello, Bedan. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your show. I'm so excited to be part of it. Me too. I'm also very excited, and everyone at my school really misses you. Oh, and I miss them very much too. But luckily, I stay in touch with all of your teachers. So I get to know how you're all working and to find out if you're all behaving as well. <laughs> so, Miss Bell, I'm curious to know, how did you start teaching? Oh, goodness me. Now, I feel very old going back that many years. But I didn't actually want to be a teacher because my mum was a teacher as well. And I saw how hard she worked and how often she had very late nights after parents' evenings. And I thought that doesn't look any fun. But then I realized when I started working with children um, that I actually loved seeing children get better at things and seeing children learn. So I decided that obviously it was in my genes and it was hereditary for me to like teaching. So I decided to train to become a teacher. And I have absolutely loved it. I started, first of all, as a normal class teacher in England many, many years ago. And then I decided to specialise and I went into special educational needs, which is everything from the child who is struggling at school with their learning or with some additional need, right up to the child like yourself, Adamp, who is very, very clever. And we need to make sure that we extend them with their learning as much as possible. So it's been a wonderful experience being a teacher. That sounds really fun. Now, uh, hearing that, a teacher is now on my job list. <laughs> How different or similar is it teaching students across so many countries? Oh, my goodness. Now, this is a question I get asked an awful lot. And you, as students, are roughly all the same. There's some differences in countries. So, for instance, some of the children in the UK some of the behaviour wasn't as good as the children in Southeast Asia. My experience when I worked in the Middle East where the children were very tough. So very tough to get through to and very tough in their attitude. Uh, Malaysia, for instance, was one of the easiest countries to teach children because the children really knew that their parents were working very hard for them to be able to go to school. So they knew they had to do their best. But 
it's actually not the children that are too different. It's the parents and the teachers. So in some countries, the parents are what I call mama and papa bear, where they constantly are looking for their children to get A grades in everything. Now, it's really important that children learn to the best of their ability, but it's also really important that children enjoy their learning. So sometimes when children have been pushed a little bit too hard, the children switch off to learning and they stop enjoying it. So that's one of the sad things about some of the countries I've worked in. But like I say, it's mainly the parents and the teachers that are different. All of the wonderful students that I've taught over the years are really the same. How was it to teach in Iraq during the Islamic State invasion? Now, this is a very good question. When I first moved out to Iraq, and that was because my husband was working there, uh, everything was very, very calm. And the school that I had was a British international school. So we actually flew the Union Jack above our school. Now, when the Islamic State uh, decided to invade a place called Mosul, which is the second largest city in Iraq, we were only a few kilometers away from Mosul. In fact, my school was on the Mosul Road. So we were very close to the front line of fighting. Now, during the invasion, it meant that I lost an awful lot of my international students. So students that came from other countries. And I was mainly left with children who had been born and raised in Iraq. A lot of the parents decided it wasn't safe to stay in Iraq. They mainly worked in oil and gas and put their children in my school. There were many times that I had to actually evacuate my school and I had a thousand children from the age of two up to the age of 21. And I would have to get them on buses because I would be told about car bombs that were on their way to the school. So I'd have to get them on buses and I'd have to get them to really, really safe places. Now, when I first started as the principal of uh, an international school in Iraq, we were quite free and easy in terms of people moving around the school. But due to the Islamic State, I had to have a bodyguard that used to go into every classroom before me to make sure it was safe. We had to have lots and lots of armed guards with their AK-47s outside the school. And we also had to have built bomb bollards to make sure that car bombs couldn't get too close to the school. So it was very, very different way of teaching. On top of that, um, I was at the time trying to get Cambridge accreditation for the school. And we were the only school in Iraq to have that. But Cambridge, the people that actually accredit, wouldn't come into the country because they were too scared because of the problems. So I had to do everything on video call, which was really, really different as well. I think we were the first school ever to gain accreditation by doing it through video call. But living in Iraq and working with the staff and the children and the parents in Iraq was one of the best experiences of my life. But at times, it was scary. 
were the children very scared like example when they heard of so you're teaching a subject and suddenly the children and you hear a bomb drop outside like somewhere somewhere like far away would they be very scared the older children were the younger children didn't really understand and we made sure that we kept them as safe as possible some of my older children uh, their parents were actually fighting on the front line and my oldest oldest children who were actually all the children of the leaders of that part of iraq the northern part of iraq actually fought on the front line themselves and i had one boy who a bullet actually hit his ear and he lost part of his ear and sadly i had other children whose parents had been killed by the islamic state so there was fear there was fear if we ever heard rumbles of the big aircraft carriers going over the school or the bombers going over the school and there was also fear uh, as the islamic state moved closer towards the school but all of the teachers were so professional and so much fun with the children that we kept the children's spirits up at all times uh, i would definitely say it was scary but a lot of the children are still in that school which is really really good to hear especially the little ones i mean when you said some of the children's parents died that that sounds really sad i mean i hope they're they're now having fun they are i have um one story i had a little boy who was uh 2 years younger than yuvadanth he was 6 and sadly his mummy was killed and every day he would come to school as a very sad little boy and i used to sit him in the chair next to my desk in my office and i used to cover him with my jacket and he would fall asleep next to me usually holding my hand while the other hand i was using on my laptop and gradually over the weeks and months i would get him to go out in the playground i would have to go with him and get him to play with his friends and then get him to go into the classroom and i saw that little boy transform from the saddest person in the world and quite rightly the saddest person in the world to he began to become a normal happy little boy again it was very tragic what happened to him and i'm sure that he will always carry that sadness with him but he started to play with his friends and started to learn again and his daddy was very grateful for that yeah i'm sure can you tell me more about the issues in iraq and the conditions there at that time i certainly can Well, as I mentioned when I first went out there, everything was absolutely fine and people could travel safely through the whole of Iraq. And I met some really interesting people while I was there and I went to some really interesting places. But as the invasion happened with the Islamic State, an awful lot of people had to flee to safety. So the area that I was in suddenly became full of refugees and there was refugee camps all over the place and sadly 
people were having to sleep on the streets with very young children. Um, usually you would find it was grandparents and their, their very young grandchildren. And they had nothing. They didn't have anything to even eat. So my husband and I, one of the things that we used to do was every time we picked up food, we used to make sure we picked up food for a family and we'd give to a different family every time. But it was incredibly sad to see how much the country changed and how scared the people became. And running a school during that time was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done because I didn't want to lose my teachers. I didn't want to lose any of my students or my parents. And trying to keep everybody safe, I suppose I became like a a bit of a mum and uh, worried about everybody and checked on everybody every day. Because of the invasion, it meant that we didn't have the freedom to move around anymore. And as I mentioned before, a lot of people who were working there fled. They went back to their own countries. And it just made for a very different feel in the place. Thankfully, things have really improved there now. And it's so good to see that the country is beginning to return to a form of steadiness again. What's the Islamic State that decided to invade? Well, the Islamic State rose out of uh, many, many years ago. They used to have uh, somebody that led the country and he was very strict. So it's like having a really, really strict head teacher who made sure that everybody did what they should do. And then that strict head teacher or that strict leader was removed. And unfortunately, it caused a lot of problems. Really, it caused a void in the country, which allowed different groups to form and try and take control. And the Islamic State was one of those groups. And they... They caused an awful lot of problems for the people of the country and for the people that were trying to make sure that the country stayed safe. They wanted it to return really to olden day times, times where women weren't allowed to work or weren't allowed to go out of the house without being completely covered, even their hands. They didn't want girls to go to school and they wanted everybody to obey a law that they followed. Now, that's not what everybody in that country wanted. They liked to have their freedom. They liked to study, they liked to work. So the rest of the world really got quite involved in this and tried to protect the Iraqis as much as possible. So they didn't just invade Iraq, they invaded Syria as well, and many other countries. Syria borders Iraq. So they've caused quite a lot of problems around the world, but the world has stood up and said, no, we're not going to take this. You're not going to intimidate us and have fought them quite a lot in terms of making sure that people get their freedom again. But it is something that's still ongoing And some countries are still seriously affected by it, which is very, very sad in this day and age that we have that. It is very, very sad. And I'm guessing because when you said that uh, lots of countries stood up and fought them, 
I'm sure now there are very little people in the Islamic State. That's right. And I do think that although everyone has the right to stand up for what they believe in, nobody has the right to hurt other people because of their beliefs. And everybody should have the right to live how they want to live as long as it doesn't hurt or affect anybody else. Yes, that's very true. You have spoken at the Iraqi parliament. What did you speak about and how was your experience? Wow. Now, Vedant, that was something very, very different and a first in my life. A bit like this, this podcast is also a first in my life. Now, I was asked to speak in the parliament because, as I've already mentioned at the beginning of your podcast, I am truly passionate about helping all children especially children with additional needs. So that's, again, children that need a bit of help and children that need a bit of extension. And at the time, my school was the only school in Iraq that did that. And people would move to northern Iraq from places like Baghdad to get their children into my school to make sure that they had all of their children's needs catered for. So... I was invited to speak in Parliament about inclusion. So in other words, making sure that everybody is included and everybody is able to access education. And I spoke in front of a room full of big Iraqi men and just one woman. And I had to have an interpreter and it was on television as well. And I was so nervous. I was actually shaking as I spoke. And when people asked me questions, I shook even more. But I was determined to make sure that people understood how important it was to include all children in education and to make sure that education was easily accessible to all families and all children. The wonderful thing that happened after me speaking in Parliament was that I started to help other schools by helping the ministry and it altered how these schools looked at children and looked at inclusion. And I'm very, very proud to say that what I started is still continuing and that children now are being catered for in all of the ways that they need to be. It's very nice that you care for other children and make sure they get education. I mean, that's very nice. Thank you, Vidan. You have lived in so many countries. How does it feel moving from one country to another? Well, I could say tiring because it is tiring packing your things up and moving your life in a suitcase. But I love it, Vidan. I really do because I love to meet people from different cultures and different backgrounds, different religions. And I love to see how people live in their own home country. So you're right. I have lived in many, many countries across the world. I certainly don't have a favourite because every single country has their positives and their negatives. But truly, it's been exciting. It's been rewarding. I have met 
some of the most amazing children as well. And I've seen them grow up and develop into wonderful young people. For me, the most important thing is making sure that when I move into a country and I start working in a school or I start training teachers in different countries, it's to make sure that children are getting the best out of education at all times and that we cater for every single child's needs. So when I go into a school and maybe they haven't quite done that right and I can see the changes and that they start to work with the children more and more and more, it excites me. So I like to take that knowledge around the world. So I, I'm a very lucky person. Working in education has given me so many opportunities to meet so many fantastic people. And in your bio, I saw that you really love traveling. Even I do, because the most thing that hurts me in the pandemic is that I can't go to different places. When we moved to Singapore, we thought that oh, we can go, we can go to Indonesia, we can go to Malaysia, we can go to all of these places, but we can't. I know, and it's so hard for us all, isn't it? Uh, yeah. We've all been used to having freedom until the pandemic hit, and. I feel exactly the same as you, Vedans. I love to travel, whether it's for work or it's for a holiday. And I love to see new places, try new foods. I love food. And I also like to meet new people. And I think because of the pandemic, it stopped all of that. And we've got used to just being at home. So I think probably you and I and the rest of the world are hoping that things get better as soon as possible so that we can start that traveling again and we can experience all those amazing places once again. What did you want to be as a child? Oh, goodness me. Now, I went through lots of stages as a child wanting to be different things. When I was really, really young, the first thing I wanted to be was a hairdresser because I like to play with hair. Then I changed and I decided I wanted to become a brain surgeon. Now, anybody that knows me would laugh at that because they know that I don't like blood and gore and anything involved with the brain has a little bit of blood and a little bit of gore. So for years, I decided I wanted to be a brain surgeon. And then I watched some brain surgery on television and was nearly sick and realized I just can't do that. That's not for me. So that's when I stopped that dream. When I was at school, they did a special thing called a jig cal in my secondary school. And a jig cal was predicting what you were going to be in the future. And it gave you some ideas and the one thing that came back for me, which I found really, really strange, was an art gallery curator. So it said that I should work in an art gallery. I love art. I love drawing. I love painting. But I don't think I'd have enjoyed working in an art gallery. I did also at one stage when I was really little, I used to actually line my teddy bears up and I used to teach them. Um, and they were probably the best class I've ever had because nobody actually spoke up or answered back. 
And that was the only time that I actually wanted to be a teacher until I grew up and then realized how much I loved helping people learn. But the main career choice as a child was brain surgery. I can imagine. (laughs) We really miss you in school, like I said in the beginning. I hope we get to meet again. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you so much, Vedanth. I have been so excited about this opportunity and I miss you and all of your friends and all of your teachers at school. But hopefully I'll be able to visit you all again soon. But don't forget, Vedanth, I hear how you're doing at school. So keep working really, really hard. I will. Dear listeners, follow my Facebook page, Curious Vedanth, to get updates on my upcoming episodes. To listen at leisure on your phone and get notified about future episodes, subscribe by searching for Curious Vedant wherever you get your podcasts such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts and many more. You can also listen to my show on CuriousVedant.com. Thank you for listening to Curious Vedant and don't forget to rate and leave comments 